0: Hello and welcome today to this podcast. I'm Frances Seeley from GlobalNet21, and this is one of the many podcasts we do that look at some of the big issues of our day. We're going to look at how art can be used, art and entertainment, to help us through times when we all face crisis in our life. And of course, today, we're facing the crisis of COVID-19. And that's not just a crisis of getting the illness and that is bad enough, but it's a crisis of fear and anxiety that's caused by that. And that's something that's affecting many, many people right across the globe. And many people believe that that fear and anxiety can lead to despair and mental illness. And we know that as a result of the fear and also social isolation, and loneliness, people are beginning to feel desperate and also feeling that they're suffering some degree of mental illness. Well, how can we then provide some hope and inspiration during this time? What sort of way can we help people get through this crisis? Well, the World Health Organization is particularly interested in what is happening today because they know that the coronavirus emergency is causing problems for many people's mental health. And so what they are hoping, and we have Lena Russell with us today, who is working with them as a consultant, what they're hoping is that we can use art and entertainment to try and look at how we can improve people's health and engage them and give them hope. And Lisa, I'm glad she's with us today. She's not only a consultant for the World Health Organization, she's also an Emmy-winning filmmaker. And she's particularly interested in the intersection that there is between art, social justice, and global development. And as I said, it's great that she can join us today. Now, this interview is part of a series that we're doing called Conversations Across Borders. And Marina Finetto, from Trace's Dreams is helping us with this. She's developed the project with us in Global Net 21, and she helps me develop the interviews, and she will be doing that with us today. So I'm glad she's here as well. Anyhow, let's get started and begin the interview. And the first thing we asked Lisa was, you know, something about her background and the work that she does. Mm-hmm.
1: a master's in public health and I took a very um, non-traditional career path with my MPH where I pursued a career as a filmmaker so I work as a filmmaker and an arts curator and I still focus on global health and development stories and projects so I like to say I'm multilingual I speak UN talk and I speak artist talk and I translate the two and I try to straddle both worlds and figure out how to bring them together um, because I feel that both worlds do incredible work. They just speak different languages, have a different culture in how they execute their work, but they are can be and should be incredible partners um, to help solve some of our world's challenges.
2: Okay, Uriah? Uh, you, you are a consultant for the World Health Organization. Uh, what does uh, this involve? What does it mean in concrete?
1: So, I was uh, supposed to speak at a at a conference in London, um, the ISNTD Arts and um, NTD Festival in London, and this is when things started to get really hectic with the temperature scans and the traveling. And so I was, I really wanted to go. I was in the opening panel with some amazing people, including um, Chris Bailey, who's with WHO. He's the lead of the Arts and Health. Um, Uh, a a filmmaker with the MTV Staying Alive Foundation. She decides where I'm a global champion and I was really looking forward to it, but I got worried that I would get stuck. So last minute, I basically said, let me just stay here, see how things pan out. I'm in Mombasa, Kenya right now. And um, I'm happy I did, but I still Skyped in. I did my presentation from afar. And then Chris Bailey and I just hit it off and we had numerous conversations, spoke for hours. We kind of have the same philosophy in terms of how to responsibly engage artists. And that turned into an opportunity for me to come on board and help develop a project called Solidarity Shows, which is really highlighting the the involvement and the, the talent and the efforts of grassroots artists. So... They're doing the big celebrity shows with Global Citizen and there's John Legend, Lady Gaga, but I'm really focused on sort of the artists who are working artists, who are on the ground, who have an incredible impact on people um, on a daily basis and really trying to engage with them. Um, And we, we have over 500 artists who are who are engaged, and they come from all regions, uh, and all genres, and it's really amazing.
0: Okay, we'll we'll talk about your Solidarity Project a a little later as well, because that's really, really good, but some people would think it really strange that an organization like the World Health Organization is interested in art. Can you explain why they are?
1: Yeah, this is, I mean, this is an exciting time for me because for 15 years, I've been like, we need to engage artists and storytellers in the work of the MDGs, you know, previous to the SDGs and in global health in general. And I think that for a long time, that's been seen as sort of a little on the fluffy side, like, oh, artists wanna change the world and isn't this great and they sing songs and make films. But the reality is, is that artists are incredible creative thinkers. I like to say that if you can survive as a working artist, especially in New York City where I live, you've got to be incredible in your problem solving and creative thinking. So why wouldn't you want artists sitting at a, you know, the seat or sitting at a seat with a bunch of policymakers talking about solutions to world problems? So I think with time and, and as research has come out and, and that has been showing that there's a rise in what people call the creative class, that it's one of the world's fastest growing economies, that they contribute a lot to the, the economics of the world. They, you know, help change narratives. They are, even with this COVID-19 um, pandemic, they were some of the ones who were the first ones to show up. They're the ones singing from balconies. They're the ones, you know, doing DJ live sets on, on Instagram. People are referring to movies, watching Netflix, like most people who are stuck at home are going towards the arts as a way to, you know, heal from what's going on, as a way to learn about what's going on. So they're incredibly important partners. I think just they haven't been recognized. So WHO is actually smart in giving um, a theater professional the title of a lead of arts and health at the WHO. And they released, I don't, I forget the name of the title of the report, but they released a document last year that looks at the role of arts in the overall well-being of, of populations around the world.
2: Yeah, yes, this is, uh, you You just mentioned uh, these people singing from the balconies. And so it was, so I am Italian and it was, I um, uh, it, it really touched me as I am based in Sweden, um, but I, I, I followed, of course, the situation in Italy and really touched me seeing how people started um, really going back to the um to our roots, let's say, singing the national hymns, for example, this is something that we, we do not do regularly. Uh? And um, this is this is the question: what is the really the role of art in moments like this and why why? do we see people really um, trying to find the stories or the the narratives that we need in your opinion?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I, I just feel in general, so artists in my point of view have a lot of responsibilities. So one, they can be messengers of important information. Back in the days of the TB, it was really interesting because public health officials were actually criticizing the poor for helping to spread TB. And so what resulted was that the poor revolted against the public health messaging. It was sort of like they became like, well, you know, you're accusing us of perpetuating this condition. Um, therefore, we're not going to obey any of the policies or, or you know, rules that you're instigating that then would lead to, you know, the the spread of TB. So so what happened instead is that all these kind of artists interpreted TB, um, a lot of high profile dignified artists were doing plays, writing things, you know what I mean? And so, so became sort of an artist. I forget the term that they use, but it was like a disease that artists really rallied around. And um, that's, you know, that's one thing that artists can be messengers of information, important information that maybe policymakers or scientists aren't good at communicating to a wider audience. Uh, They can also help document sort of the historical context of what's going on. You know, in 10 years, 15 years from now, we're going to look back and say, wow, this was just an unbelievable time in our history. And look how it's been interpreted by the creative community. So it's not just going to be reports or news or whatnot. It's going to be visuals. It's going to be songs. It's going to be poetry. And it's going to help define this moment in the future. And then, you know, lastly, I think it's it's absolutely a healing mechanism, whether you partake in an arts activity, if you're painting, if you're drawing, like you're saying, if you're singing, um, I think it's a, it's a healing mechanism um, and also a way for, you know, artists can help lead sort of the cultural responses to crises. Um, in my Brooklyn, New York world, hip hop is very big. And so a lot of the hip hop artists, for example, are coming out and doing like, like live DJ shows and rallying like hundreds of thousands of people to come together as a community and, you know, try to get through this thing. So there's a lot of angles that I think artists and creatives um, are important, you know, important in, in terms of, of um, dealing with this crisis and helping the masses deal with this crisis.
0: But, uh, yeah. But in, in, I mean, in the situation we're now with COVID 19 and coronavirus, emergency. Um, I understand what you're saying about art, you know, documenting history, bringing people together. But what can it especially do in the crisis we're in now? Can it give inspiration? Can, get, can it give hope? Can it also give despair?
1: Yeah, I mean, some, you know, art is not messaging, right? Art is, is interpreting whatever the particular artist is going through or sees in something. So some of the artwork that we're getting in the the initiative that I'll talk about later, is not always positive and hopeful. It is documenting a reality of somebody, for example, who's living with Lyme disease, who's terrified of getting um, coronavirus or COVID-19 because of the implications that will have with somebody who's already has a compromised immune system. Um, we have people who, you know, are, are political, people are coming back and, and you know, challenging governments um, through their art. So hope is one thing but but it's also it's it's different than messaging we can use art to relay important information about hand washing about social distancing but it's also just a a pure uh, reflection of whatever an individual artist is going through and i think that's that's important i definitely think that's important
0: so in a way it gives in a way it gives perspective
1: yeah I, yeah definitely it it gives perspective It's individual, I think, right? Um, Like there's some calls for for art that is focused specifically on public health messaging. That's not what we're trying to do. We're just trying to congregate artists who are interpreting what they're going through, through different art forms, different art mediums, which has been really interesting and, and insightful. And, you know, you look at the art that's coming out of Italy and you look at the art that's coming out of South Africa, New York um and how that's evolving and in places you know i'm in kenya where it it hasn't been hit that hard and what the art looks like here so it's 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 an interesting um you know entry into people's perceptions of what they are going through in their
2: own personal lives because some of the strongest art is really personal right Uh, this is um uh, as i uh, just mentioned i was really touched seeing what was going on in italy and I, 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 I wrote, for example, that uh, what I believe is that uh, the, this kind of this, the, this is the stories that we are going to share after the crisis. But at the same time, there were uh, people, people who were working at the hospitals, for example, they started criticizing the people in Italy, singing and telling them, um, "Stop it! Uh, there, are, uh, you know, there are people who are dying." And so what, what I am asking you, how can we do this kind of really difference between that celebrating art, celebrating the stories that we need, but respecting or embracing the reality in which we live in.
1: Well, I think, to be honest, I think that's a really ignorant point of view. I think that if your way is the only way to deal with a the crisis, then that's not the reality of people who are outside of your bubble or your circle or what you're going through. Just because you sing or paint or even tell a joke doesn't mean that you are dismissing what healthcare workers are going through. Comedy is a great uh, medium for people to process and to relieve themselves of the weight of this. If we were just all focused on the, the illness and the death and the dying, and there was no release from it, there is no like, that, that's gonna like affect your mental health, that can lead to depression. So I think we need all of it. I don't think one is right. I think we need a variety of coping skills, a variety of perspectives. And it, really, it actually really bothers me when people think that just because you, you work as an artist that you underestimate the important work of somebody like, like healthcare workers. Artists are some of the hardest hit people from this pandemic in terms of finances. They work a lot in the gig economy. They're suffering. To feed families, to do whatever. There are people who have salary positions, for example, who do not understand how dire it is. But yet again, the artists are the ones who showed up first. They weren't looking to get paid to go sing on balconies. They weren't looking to get paid to, to you know, create visual art. They, they, this is their way of, of contributing to this, to this crisis. And I think we can't diminish that.
0: So do, so, do you think that when artists do that in a way that they're, they're doing all the things you say, um, and many are unpaid as well, do you think they have a sort of sense of responsibility that at this time, at this moment, they're important? They can make a difference.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think they do. I think I think artists know their worth. Artists know the sacrifices that they do to do the things that are important to them to do what they care about. I think society doesn't always understand or appreciate what artists do in times of crises, in times of of whatnot. If you look at the history of like social movements, for example, throughout, you know, in the US, for example, artists have been so instrumental in the HIV AIDS movement, in the anti-smoking movement, in gay marriage uh, movements, in even nominating Obama. Artists have played a central role. So artists, I think, understand their value. It's society that does (laughs) not And industries that don't, sectors that don't. I I challenged an assistant secretary general at the UN one time because he was like, you know, everybody, all sectors need to get on board and support the SDGs. We need academics, we need private sector, we need member states. And I was like, and what about the creatives? What about artists? And he's like, you're right. And so I worked with him on producing a, a film to engage artists in the SDGs. But um, the global health community, if they, if they opened their, you know, vision and, and really tried to, to understand and appreciate the value of arts, not just for entertainment, but again, for creative thinking, for healing, for changing narratives, I think they would realize that we're a lot more
2: important than they give us credit for. And Lisa, and, and now that we, you just mentioned uh, at, the, at the beginning, you are uh, launching this solidarity session and solidarity shows. Um, could you tell us more about this? Sure, so my initiative,
1: which is called Create 2030, is uh, overseeing the solidarity shows component. Solidarity Sessions is WHO with Global Citizen and is primarily focused on like celebrities and celebrity musicians and they're doing these big shows, they're getting broadcasts, you know, reaching sort of a large number of people through traditional mainstream whatever. Solidarity Shows is reaching out to the, the painter from Uganda who has painted a beautiful painting who is a an important voice in his community, but he's not a mega superstar. He's still valuable. um, And so his contribution is being recognized. And I think what we're trying to do is really say, well, how can we turn this initiative into something that not only showcases this incredible artwork, and we have incredible artwork that's coming in from all over the place, all countries, not all countries, I'm sorry, a lot of different countries, um, and it's really creating a community in this, in this group that we're building. Um, but likewise, how can we as a global health community support artists who are making a contribution? Could we license their artwork for our website? Could we purchase their artwork for our offices um, after this crisis is done? Is there a way that we could do you know, an art auction and help sell their content Um, To help feed their family. Artists shouldn't be asked to work for free and we shouldn't be asked to work for exposure. And I understand sometimes, you know, it's helpful that we get, um, you know, my work gets recognized at the UN, um, but it can't be the culture. And so I think if we see each other as partners or collaborators and helping one another, um, we can elevate both how artists are welcomed into the, the development space, but also how they can share the messages um, and the work of UN NGO agencies that sometimes don't get outside their bubble.
0: You, you, yeah, go on, reader. sorry.
2: No, uh, sorry, but what, 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 uh, what do you do exactly with this uh, Solidarity shows?
1: So what, what we decided to do is, is, in order to protect artists' intellectual property rights, the first point of entry into the project is through a private Facebook group. Artists can join it. Allies can join it. People who just want to see the artwork can join it. But there is a condition if you join the group that you don't share artwork without the permission of the artist. There's a website that is housing both the the Solidarity Sessions, which again is more celebrity folks. And then um, with that, the Solidarity Shows that is focused more on the Community grassroots um, artists who are are very powerful, some of them are celebrities in their own countries but may not be you know at the at the international stage that some of the the solidarity sessions are so it's evolving this has been you know as the pandemic evolves and as we see what's happening we're sort of also trying to figure out how to evolve this um, project but for right now, I know I check it every day and other artists are checking it every day. They're showing support to other artists. We're talking about, you know, how do you process what's your new, new work, um, you know, um, your routine when you, when you go to work. You know, for me, for example, I'm in another country. I'm not working as I normally do. So people are sharing. It's good. It's like a really, it's, it's small, but it's becoming a, a really, like, strong community of artists, which you I get-
0: enjoy but when, when you do this, you're not doing it solely on your own, are you? You're working with groups like Global Citizens, is that right? I mean, who are they?
1: I'm not, I'm not. I don't personally like working with celebrities, so they're good at that, so they can go do that. There's so much that needs to be done in terms of the larger creative community that that's where I choose to put my focus um, and where I'm good at, to be honest.
0: So you, you so rather than work with them, you have a site, don't you, called Create 2030. Is that where you sort of have every um, piece of artistic work placed? Is that your sort of, you know, uh, focal point for everything you do?
1: So that's, I mean, I've, over the last 15 years, I've had a lot of different creative projects. I've had my MDG5.com, which was uniting artists and activists around maternal health. I've had... The Woman Tour, where I jumped on a tour bus with a musician and went around the country for three weeks talking about obstetric fistula, showing films and doing music. I've done I Sell the Shadow, which evolved into Create 2030, now for the SDGs. So it's a culmination of sort of all of my work that I've done since beginning my film career, because I've always been working with different artists. And because it's evolved, it's sort of, you know taken different shapes and forms. But right now it's really trying to engage artists in not just the COVID-19 response, but in the wider, you know, SDG um, movement. Uh, so we do performances, we do workshops, we, you know, we've done artify your mission projects. Uh, we've done a lot of different things, but it,
0: sa- it sounds from what you're saying that you're almost a negotiator, a moderator between artists and say the WHO. And I think that WHO talks about reaching out to art influencers. So is that what you would call yourself an art influencer?
1: well to me influencers are like people that have millions of followers and i i we talked personally where i was like i don't really like that kind of attention like i like my things to be smaller and more high quality and more you know um just, just has more depth but what i will say is i'm definitely a curator i put on my filmmaking editors hat and i take all these artists that i work with who i know because a lot of them i've been working with for 10 15 years And I construct an experience or a journey for whatever event or whatever partner I'm working with. So for example, I was a, I was a juror for a UN film festival, the SDGs in action film festival. And I asked the guy who I was working with, like, so have you decided what order you're going to show the films that we were going to screen at this event? And he said, yes, I decided I'm going to just show them alphabetically in alphabetical order. And I was like, that's not a good idea. So I rearranged them and he said, well, how did you come up with this sequence? And I said, well, I took all six films and I made them into one story. So if you know anything about narrative arc, you're how to construct or curate an experience that is not just put this here, do this here, oh, this looks good here. It's actually um, uh, understanding sort of the bigger picture looking at the the creative assets, so to speak, that you have to work with and knowing how to put them together that creates a journey. It's the same sort of thing. Like you can take three musicians and depending on where you place them and how you order them could be very successful or it can fail. And if you're not accustomed to being a storyteller or an event producer or somebody that understands how to construct events, you don't know. How would you know? So. I like to say I'm a curator, not an influencer,
2: <laughs> but, but uh, you, you are a creator. And as you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, it is important to have a common language. So, as I understand, you are like the curator of different languages from different parts of the societies. And you uh, define yourself as a responsible storyteller. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about this? Sure. So um, the reason why I even became a
1: filmmaker had to do with an experience I had in Kosovo, a term that is often used um, called poverty porn, which is this idea that we tell emotionally exploitative stories in order to fundraise or to do campaigns or whatnot. And that can be really, um, that can strip the dignity of the people who you're telling stories about. And for a long time, I couldn't figure out, I knew it was, it was not right, but I didn't know what the, the, the solution was. Like we can all say poverty porn is bad, but I couldn't find the solution of, well, how do I tell global health stories responsibly? And I've figured it out for myself. I almost quit my job like three times. I just was, I couldn't find the point where I felt like I was doing this responsibly while still, you know, delivering content that was necessary for my contracts because I'm also getting paid. So, um, so I've come up with my own sort of process and philosophy about storytelling. And I do workshops to kind of illustrate how to do responsible storytelling. We have to address some of the difficult things because you cannot tell a story about maternal health, like obstetric fistula, without showing women who are suffering with obstetric fistula, otherwise it's just like a, you know, poor people smiling campaign. That doesn't. That's not going to work. But the order that you tell the story, how you tell the story, whose voices you amplify, um, who's the hero of the story, all of these things can shift the narrative and change the narrative from one that feels exploitative to one that is more inspiring.
2: And 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 what kind of stories? what kind of messages um, are we going to see are we going to need the next month yeah yeah well you know I think I think for me
1: stories that start immediately with trauma where they want to show you the worst of the worst to pull you in to this story it's like oh like like okay I want to see it but I don't really want to see it so like You know, a story about COVID-19 that starts in in an ICU where a person dies might be a typical film I would see, you know, in the global health community. But what if we learned about the doctor and we got to know about the doctor first, who's a loving mother, who sacrificed a lot to become a doctor, who excels at her job in the ICU? That is just a different way of telling the same story. It's character driven. It's not one dimensional. It's not showing a doctor is only a frontline healthcare worker that has to watch people die. It's like we get to know somebody In a more holistic comprehensive way so that when they get to that point, we feel more for what she's going through than we are being like for shock value. If that makes sense. And I also think telling stories that are less like pitiful, like, you know, like charitable, oh, we go into this community and save these people um, because without us, you know, they would die or they would suffer versus, and that's sort of, I think a charity story that leads to pity and nobody likes to be, nobody wants pity, I don't think, but you change that story to a justice story like, okay, so this community isn't getting food delivered on a regular basis. And the consequence of that is the people are suffering. So how do we address the problem? Like the problem is the problem, the people aren't the problem. So what, why is food not getting to this community and looking at that aspect of the story? Um, so there's a lot of devices. There's actually a great uh, resource I use a lot in my workshops called uh, the Charter for Storytelling Rights. And it's a really good guideline in terms of, it's, it's set up like the UN Charter, like people whose stories are being told, do they have a right? in how they they are presented, how their stories are presented. And we as storytellers in the global health and development community, I think there's so much we can do to become better storytellers. Um, And then lastly, I'll just say, I think that there's a, a difference between the sort of messaging and campaigning storytelling versus the like craft of storytelling which for a lot of really good storytellers takes years, years to master. So it's not just stringing together kind of sound bites and this or whatever, it's like, how do you look at a story, a narrative arc? How do you build conflict? Who's your protagonist? Who's your antagonist? What's the plot? What's the theme? And all of these things, even though they seem really like far out there, I think, you know, I work with Pixar and a box, for example, and we do a really basic workshop with people who wanna do storytelling in this community, if they can at least get their mind around sort of different storytelling devices and techniques, it may alter the way that we, um, that we see stories. I curate the Women Deliver Film Festival and I can tell you, there's a lot of really unethical films. There's a lot of great films, but there's still this like, Da-da! did you know that 350,000 women around the world, are it's like, it's not a story, it's a yeah. message.
0: OK, we've sort of come close to the end of this first section now. So let me ask you a final question this session. And that is, if people wanted to get in touch with you, they wanted to submit their art or whatever, what do they do?
1: So if you go to create2030.org, there is a page that's dedicated to the Solid, Solidarity shows and it has links of where you can submit. It has some of the artwork, has some of the artists. I have a newsletter. This is one of many initiatives. I'm doing An online arts and SDGs uh, festival next week. Um, so if you are either one, you don't have to be an artist or wanna be an artist or a storyteller. If you're just interested as a global health professional, as a communication specialist, you can join and just see that's my angle, but it's, you know, it's one of many angles that people can explore.
0: So, okay all right well thanks for doing this interview that's great and it's very inspiring and i'm sure um, lots of people uh, will be really really interested in what you said and i'm sure lots of people who want to get involved so we'll end this session of the interview now mm-hmm.